Texas Prison Story Family Salute. This is your boy Tim Snow with the Renee Boxer Enriquez story. From Mexican Mafia Hitman to FBI Snitch by Mike and Amigo. I hope you enjoy it. He climbed his way to the top four of the Mexican Mafia, Miami, a bloodthirsty California prison gang which originated in the mid-1950s. His body is covered in Mafia tattoos including a life-size black hand with the letter M inside of it over his heart. He commanded over tens of thousands of Latino soldiers from the Southern California street gangs, also called Sudanios, who were both on the streets and in prison. He stole, robbed, trafficked drugs, ordered killings, and murdered people with his own hands, all from a prison cell. Then in 2002, he turned on the gang he helped himself mastermind. He became a federal informant and began exposing the Mexican Mafia's deeper secrets. His name is Rene Boxer Enriquez, and this is his story. Rene was born on July 7, 1962, and grew up in a middle-class home in Cerritos, California. He was a bright kid who showed promise, but he decided to drop out of school in ninth grade. At age 12 or 13, he got jumped into Artesia 13, a local street gang that his older brother Mark, who Renee idolized, was a member of. To gain membership, members of the gang took Renee behind a gas station and jumped him in. They beat him so he could prove he was fearless, an initiation process used by many street gangs. Mark gave, the, Mark gave Renee the nickname Boxer, and from there he began investing his energies into the gang. His dad tried to keep him on track by making him work in the family business, but Boxer preferred to run the streets, stealing with his friends and breaking into nearby homes. He eventually ended up in Juvenile Hall after he and two others raped an intoxicated woman at a party. Like most gang members, Boxer idolized those who'd been to prison. And once we got into the gangs, we understood that the homeboys that got out of prison were well respected. You go there and you learn prison, he said. We wanted to get to prison somehow, and we were destined to get there. It wouldn't be long before Rene Boxer Enriquez got his wish of going to prison. Arrested for a string of robberies, he was sentenced to several years in prison, where at the age of 19, he was introduced to members of the Mexican Mafia. They took him under their wing and taught him the ways of Miami. He learned how to make shanks and hide them in his rectum. He began carrying out hits, prison stabbings for La Mafia, working his way into their good graces. In 1985, he became a made man, an official member of Miami, Mexican Mafia, a membership and commitment that is expected for life, blood in, blood out. In 1989, Boxer paroled from prison, where he immediately put his membership into the Mexican Mafia into action began extorting the local Latino street gangs, the Sedanos, and others who made their money off of crime like selling drugs. He made it clear to those within his territory that you will follow the laws set by the Mexican Mafia or you will die. One suspected drug dealer, Cynthia Galvadon, was thought to be withholding taxes and she was ordered to pay, so Boxer had her assassinated. His next acts of terror were to murder fellow Emmy member David Gallegos, who had lost favor with the gang after running from a gunfight. To kill Gallegos, Boxer gave him a fatal shot of heroin, then to ensure he would die, shot him five times in the head. 
Boxer was eventually arrested for that and held tried for, trial for it and held in the Los Angeles County Jail. Despite incarceration, Boxer's reign of terror didn't stop. In 1991, while awaiting trial for the murders, Boxer and another man stabbed Mexican Mafia member Salvador Buenrosto 26 times in a lawyer's interview room. Luckily for him, he survived. Boxer was ultimately sentenced to three life sentences, one for each murder and one for that attempted murder. Boxer returned to prison in 1993. Prison officials wasted no time in validating him as a member of IME, giving him an indeterminate shoe sentence and putting him in infamous Pelican Bay shoe. There, inmates spend 23 hours a day in a windowless cell and are only allowed one hour a day in a small concrete yard where they can walk around for exercise in a cage. Boxer would later say of arriving at the infamous Prisons of Prisons, what impacted me immediately as I walked in the joint was the smell. I just stepped outside from the bus and you smell the pines, the redwoods, the forest, these earthy, loamy smells. But as soon as you step into the shoe unit, it hits you like a wave. It's the smell of despair, depression, desperation, feces, urine. This is a place where people come to die, not live. Pelican Bay was designed to isolate and break the members of California's most powerful and violent prison gangs like the Mexican Mafia. But instead, the gangs turned it into headquarters. They worked around the isolation by passing gang messages via kites, visitors, and legal mail. Mail that guards are not allowed to read. They used the time to scheme and organize instead of being punished. They taught themselves how to communicate using sign language so they could do it at a distance when the guards can't hear. And they learned languages like Nuwati, an ancient Aztec dialect, so the guards can't understand them. They created their own codes and messaging system which they could pass information like gang hits without others understanding their meaning. They're very advanced. Boxer Enriquez become one of the criminal masterminds of the Mafia, and there wasn't much of anything anyone could do to stop it. Boxer had a level of sophistication in conducting his business that was almost impossible to pinpoint and nail down exactly. Anything he was doing was slick. Chris Blatchford, a journalist who often reports on gangs, agrees that Boxers was more sophisticated and ruthless than the rest of the Emmy. He was greedier than they were, and he was smarter than they were, and he really lived off what he took from the crooks. Enriquez certainly thinks of himself as a smart. I believe I'm a cut above the rest, he would later say. We spent off thousands of ideas, and if only one of them was profitable, we were succeeding. So we do this every day in Pelican Bay thousand miles from our base of power. It's said that one of Enrique's greatest ideas and Mafia contributions was in the mid-90s he convinced the Mafia to back his idea to stop drive-by shootings on the streets of Southern California. It was his idea. This wasn't done for peace, however. It was done for business and power. Our true motivation for stopping the drive-bys was to infiltrate the street gangs and place representatives in each gang representatives which then in turn tax illicit activities in their areas and we already had it planned out that California would be carved up into slices each member receiving a little bit of slice not so last says the others boxers 
Boxer wasn't the mastermind behind stopping the drive-by, as Joe Morgan says. Armando Chucky, who I co-wrote Legal and Betrayal, says he did. Boxer says he did. So there's a big debate. Regardless of who the original creator of the idea was, the plan worked. Tens of thousands of gang members adhered to what we said. High school dropouts and everybody, Boxer said. We had so much authority behind so many people, it's amazing. The Mafia had so much power and influence, they were able to make the Sudanios fear disobeying their orders. Gang members who commit crimes know they'll eventually end up in prison where the Mafia rules. And any disobedience will make you a green light and target for murder. The Mexican Mafia's decision to put a stop to drive-bys came with an added benefit, however. It was good public relations. The Mafia saw that as a way to being more respectable in the eyes of the public, city leaders and church leaders. They stopped a lot of murders. The success of all this only confirmed to the mobsters just how much power they actually had and how much money they could actually make. Their plan actually worked. They couldn't believe it themselves, he said. We could do all this. We're now a real powerhouse. Because of the finance generated, we can do anything, Boxer said. Drug and other illicit profits flowed from the streets to prison. The mobsters treated the street criminals like owners of fast food franchises, using the brand of the Emmy and their protection in return for profits. So in 2002, after close to 10 years in isolation, Boxer for some reason decided to switch sides. He's now going to be an informant and a federal rat. Boxer contacted the institutional gang investigators in prison and let them know he was done. He wanted out of the mafia. He's dropping out. Protective custody. SNY. He's gone. They quickly moved him to a different section of the prison called PC. In California, when a validated member of a prison gang such as Mexican Mafia, New Easter Familia, AB or BGF drops out, they must go through a debriefing process. This is where the prisoner must tell IGI their entire gang history every crime they've committed themselves or as a gang, and everything they know. If they catch them lying on one thing, they will not let them drop out and send them back to population. Because of Enrique's status and amount of participation in Miami when he made the contact with IGI, they could hardly contain their excitement. For the first time, we had a Mexican Mafia member direct that was really ready to flip. We couldn't believe it ourselves. We didn't know what to think. Boxer put the same dedication in his two new in partnership with the laws as he had with La Mafia. He told him everything. He worked as hard as he could. Boxer delivered a devastating blow to Mafia. He helped organize and build. For his troubles, the FBI and ATF paid him a whopping $200 a week as an informant. He did not do it for free. Then in September of 2014, after 10 good years of high-level snitch work, the true test of all Boxer's hard work and cooperation with law, law enforcement came. His parole hearing. His first chance of being released after three life sentences and working so hard with the cops for 10 years. Officials with at least 11 federal agents and state agents wrote letters to the board supporting Boxer's release. They were ready for him to go. 
Several even attended the parole hearing themselves and testified. The board asked Boxer, Why did you repeatedly participate in criminal activity all those years? Boxer said, I lacked the qualifications to diagnose myself at that time. I could sit here and guess as to what I was looking for. I really don't know anymore. The board said, Why did you commit rape in 1985? Boxer said I had understanding that I was doing the wrong at the time. I wasn't the man I am today. I would never do it now. The board asked, why did you join a street gang? Boxer answered, I was forced. In the end, the board granted parole that day. Now it was up to then Governor Brown to decide whether or not to uphold their decision. Although Boxer had become somewhat of a public celebrity by this time, for some reason, the board's decision to parole him was not reported anywhere. From then, the, from when the board grants parole, they've up to 120 days to set a release. The board set his release date from 120 days in January 2015. Received no new news coverage and no denial from the governor. Boxer was ecstatic and began to make his plans for parole and to go home. He would enter the FBI's witness protection program and finally be safe. But on January 28th, a week or so after receiving his release date, the LAPD hosted a private dinner party for local police chiefs and business execs where Boxer, though still incarcerated, would appear as a keynote speaker. They touted him as a criminal co corporate executive who would give first-hand insight into the group about their inner workings as a criminal enterprise and mafia where he would detail gang franchising, marketing, sales, merchandise, and branding to the little over 100 police attendants. To put on the rather extravagant event required hundreds of hours of law enforcement's time and effort and a plan to get Boxer there and back safe. The fancy gathering was reported on the news by the outlets, who all exposed the surprise guests. They said a convicted hitman was coming. Nobody knew that Boxer had actually been granted parole by the parole board and the convicted hitman was expecting to be released in a matter of weeks. They would not be happy about that if they did. Something didn't smell right to the reporters, so a couple of them decided to dig a little deeper into the situation. And on January 31st, the LA Times ran an article about what they discovered. Boxer had been granted parole and was only waiting on a final decision by the governor. Other local newspapers began following the case more closely, even tracking down the children of some of his victims who expressed outrage about his parole. They also published just how the January 28 event had cost taxpayers $22,000 for him to come talk. Then on February 20th, the last day in which the governor could weigh in, he released his review of the parole board decision. In that he instated, Mr. Enriquez presents a shallow understanding of how he came to pe perpetuate so many violent crimes. Brown noted how Enriquez claimed to have found meaning from his career in law enforcement, but had admitting to lapsing back into drug use when not being used by law enforcement. Because he is a high-profile dropout targeted by the Mexican Mafia, Mr. Enriquez's parole poses a serious security risk to himself and his family and his parole officer. We feel like he's much safer in inside. 
Brown denied the parole board's decision, officially reversed that day.